0: Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello Rebels, and welcome to episode 222 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm joined by J.P. Reinflesh, the IX, and we're going to be talking all about story hypothesis and theme. We had just one comment last week which was from Helen uh, Shoiro who said thank you for having me on as always Work Wife and thank you for joining me. Please do leave your comments on the show, Instagram is best, I love to see what you thought of the episode and we will always read them out. Okay so in personal news and updates then, I am recording this on the 20th of December which is a Wednesday and I am super close to having finished the book. I'm not quite there, I did want to be editing this week, but uh, you know, it it is what it is, I have slipped a week and uh, I should be finished in the next couple of days, And then um, hopefully I will get it edited uh, over the Christmas break, which is not ideal. I didn't want to work over Christmas, but it is what it is. Uh, So I will be editing it over the Christmas break and then hopefully it will go to the editor slightly later than I would planned, mid to late January. And then hopefully it will be out late February or early March, which is very exciting. So I'll have more news on that very soon. I have just finished my planning for next year. I am uh, working, as I mentioned before, with a new pal, uh, with Writing Sprints, and we have... So look, this is the way it is. If next year goes according to plan, and there are no sick kids, no sick adults, no road bumps, speed bumps, you know, things like this, then I'm hoping that maybe I can get eight books done. It's a very aspirational goal for me, hugely aspirational, really, really aspirational. Let me say that again. (laughs) Um, But what I've done is like a good, better, best Everest and like golden win. And so for me, like a good year next year will be four books, better year would be five, best would be six, Mount Everest goal would be seven and the golden crown would be eight books. And that's kind of the way that I'm seeing it is that like, four is my minimum. Um, Eight is probably the limit of what I'm capable of. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe if I can outsource a whole bunch of stuff, maybe I could do even more. I don't know. We will have to see. But I have been putting in place quite a lot of plans. I still haven't finished, although I've sort of plotted the production timeline. um, I've still got a shitload of um, work to do. Um, I've got multiple, uh, um, what are they called, whiteboards in my office where I'm kind of moving projects around and stuff and trying to see what needs to be done in which quarter so that's exciting me I love planning I then mostly ignore the plan and just get on (laughs) I don't know if anybody else is like that out there but uh yeah I kind of do all this spend all this time planning and then just completely ignore the plan and just get on with writing which I think is hilarious but uh there we go So that is me, I will be taking off the 24th, 25th, 26th, 27th, I probably won't be on social media much, I will just be chilling with family, and then um, it will be back to the grindstone to get the edits done, but I am hoping I can have a few more days off over in the holidays uh, as well. So in other exciting news, I got my Shopify store sorted. This is for the Ruby Rose stuff. You can now order signed copies, which is pretty cool. I'm very excited about this. I'm gonna be having some other stuff on there as well, but you'll see that um, next year as that sort of comes online. uh, And that's some of the plans that I've been trying to put it on my whiteboards. Um, But I'm very excited. I've got some super beautiful photos which came from Kate Hennessy. She is a photographer, an author, and she is, has a book photography service and they are fucking stunning. So I will be using her services again next year. So that has been amazing. Um, and yeah, so that was a bit of a learning curve. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and I haven't got it completely ironed out either. I still need to try and link the Shopify with uh, Instagram so I can tag all my books on there. But uh, I have been working on it and Yeah, what a learning curve. I'm really, really pleased and excited um, for that. And I think that's probably it on the things that I'm gonna tell you that I'm working on just because there's a few things I'm not quite ready to talk about. Things I am talking about though are my next two big uh, kind of teaching opportunities which are the Patreon masterclass. We are going to be looking at what it takes to become an Amazon number one bestseller both from a traditional author and from an indie author point of view. We're going to be deconstructing um, their books, their platform, their marketing, their brand package pitch tropes, the whole work. So if you're interested in joining me for a live class for that, then you can join Patreon. And then I'm doing a one-off live uh, pros in the market webinar, like workshop where, um, well, I'm going to tell you right now. So writing to market isn't new, but when teachers talk about it, what they often do is focus on understanding the market, advertising, brand and pitch. But that leaves the writing and the craft of writing to market. So how do you do that? If you're tired of trying to work out how to deliver what readers actually want, then this workshop is for you. I'm going to show you how to deconstruct best-selling books and implement the tools you find. I'm going to give you an easy three-step methodology for that deconstruction. There are going to be practical examples of deconstruction and how to implement the stuff that you find into your own work. We're going to talk about copywriting, why you're not using it enough, and where you should be using it. We're going to discuss how to intentionally slip in TikTokable and marketable scenes into your novels that will hook readers. We're going to talk about the craft of tropes and there'll be live deconstruction examples using um, examples from those in the sessions. This will be on Friday the 9th and Saturday the 10th of February and if you are in the New Zealand, Australia, parts of the world then it will be closer to uh, Sunday the 11th I think think one of the sessions is Sunday the 11th no both of them i think are Sunday the 11th yeah and one is Saturday the 8th all of the information is in the show notes so if you would like to find out more then please do uh, click through and find out and if you have any questions then drop me a line okay we are super super low on rebel stories so if you have a rebel story please do send it in you know how i love to read them out and uh, becca will shout at me if you don't so if you have got a story that you've been avoiding giving us please now is the time. This week's rebel is Eden. Eden says my birthday is in in uh, my birthday is in early December, which in the UK is generally dark, cold and wet. To combat the winter blues, I tend to watch Lord of the Rings, except the extended versions back to back. For the listeners at home, is it's a grand total of 682 minutes or nearly 11 and a half hours. Holy shit. I have not seen those films. I've seen the first two i think never saw the last one whoops uh, but this year i wanted to do something different not least because i broke up with my long term partner and i wanted to get out of the house so i flew to rome by myself which in and of itself is rebellious enough anyway to the rebellion on my f- final day in the city i was doing the usual touristy things the colosseum the forum the pantheon etc i was walking back from the pantheon when someone approached me trying to sell me stuff something that is unfortunately quite common in rome i ignored him and kept walking but he kept following and pestering me in English. This carried on for a good few minutes and I was getting slowly angrier and angrier. (gasps) Then I felt a hand on my shoulder. I turned and in my best Latin bellowed, I am sacrosanct and hand me at once. The man froze, not one to lose the initiative when my danders danders up, I continued in English. I am the Pope's representative in England and it is sacrilege to touch a priest in such a violent manner. (laughs) you legend at uh, this, uh, oh this, so uh, uh, this the man fell to his knees and started mumbling an apology in italian i can't tell you exactly what it said but it sounded consolatory enough uh after a few moments of squirming i said more quietly go to that church there and ask for father Nic- Nicanor, nickanor rainer and sin no more I waved in the opposite direction to where I was actually headed. There was bound to be a church somewhere around there. With that, he scurried away and I hurriedly walked the other way before A, he discovered that there was no church nearby or B, that the father was not a real person and, in fact, the priest from 100 years of soli- solitude. Luckily, our paths didn't cross again. <laughs> oh, that did make my uh, make me chuckle. What a hilarious story. I can't believe you did that. That's so funny oh dear see that like, people shouldn't like it's one thing to sell don't lay your hand on me i'll fucking break your fingers okay Like, okay maybe not maybe maybe that's a step too far maybe i'll just do what eden did <laughs> Anyway, if you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. Now, please do, do, because we are very, very low. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. You can email your Rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to new and uh, upped pledges, Uh, Renee, Claire Donnelly, and Dana Rousseau. Thank you so, so much. And, of course, an enormous thank you to my existing patrons, If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content, like the Amazon number one bestseller uh, masterclass coming up, the movie night that will happen in January in association with that, the Poison and Prose monthly Q&A live sessions that we do together where we write, sprint, and people ask me questions, or the Rebel Slack community where we have well over a 100 community members now. Um, And we do a quarterly fight to the death of a encouragement, enthusiasm, motivation producing community drive towards our goals, then you can from as little as two dollars a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash sasha black. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, so I'm just going to talk about them and then we'll get on with the episode. This episode is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast, and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors and their team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help you reach new readers around the world. With this in mind, Kobo has developed a way for authors to reach audiobook listeners with direct audiobook upload. You can now publish an audiobook right in your Kobo Writing Life account as easily as you can publish an ebook. You can create a customisable table of content, set the price in 16 different currencies and even set up a pre-order for your audiobook with no date limitations. There's no exclusivity and you will always have control of your pricing. And once your audiobook is published, there are lots of promotional opportunities. Kobo even have customisable social assets that you can download to share on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, making it even easier for you to reach this growing market. If you're a KWL author and haven't yet got access to the audiobooks tab or the promotional mailing list, email the team at writing life at Kobo.com. That's at kobo.com, and they'll hook you up. Don't forget you can purchase audiobooks on kobo.com and they will download directly to your free Kobo app or e-reader. If you want to learn more about KWL, check out the Kobo Writing Life podcast available wherever you get your podcasts and find them on social. Create your free account today at kobo.com forward slash writing life. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author podcast. Today I'm joined by jp reinflesch the ninth jp is a is a writer editor and podcaster with a penchant for the dark strange and queer they co-authored the paranormal humor book N-R-D-S, National Recently Deceased Services with Jeff Elkins, and the dark urban fantasy series Leah Ackerman alongside A.B. Cohen. J.P. is also the author of cosy suburban fantasy Mandrake Manor, among other works. J.P. co-hosts the Writers Inc. podcast and lately has been deeply involved in their local community, fostering a space with over 60 members. Their aim is to uplift local voices, educate emerging writers, assist in getting them published and connect them with local events and opportunities, showcasing them to a broader audience. Hello and welcome.
1: Hello. Thanks,
0: Thanks for you. having me on thank you for coming. No, it's it's great to have you on. So would you like to tell everyone a little bit about you and your journey and, and kind of how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah. So I would say back in 2017, after listening to a billion podcasts, Rachel Heron, uh, jo- uh, uh, Joanna Penn, uh, Jay Thorne, I finally was like, you know what? I can't continue to just listen to podcasts and not have a community. And for me, you know, because <laughs> you've seen me in your Slack, I talk about community like nobody's business. Um, and so on, in 2017, I took the leap and I went to um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, did something called Rock in the basement uh, with Jay Thorne and about uh, 14 other authors. We created an apocalyptic world and wrote a short story together. And that was really the launching point of going from Thinking about writing, about, you know, sort of delving into the craft and, and attempting to write pieces into actually learning the craft, um, bouncing ideas off of people, getting things published. And so I would say that that was really the, the launching point that uh, delved me into all of these communities and meeting all these wonderful people.
0: So have you always been a reader, always been a writer, or like, is it something that sort of happened as you started listening to these podcasts?
1: So both. <laughs> um, I, I've always been like a voracious reader. Uh, I, I really didn't go outside a lot. <laughs> I just like read a lot. And uh, we would take a lot of trips, my family and I, up to like cabins or whatever, and I I would be tearing through a book in the backseat um and then in terms of writing of course I wrote terrible stories that will never ever see the light of day some of them are written in a weird coded language that I don't remember at all because apparently I was that finicky about like no one could read this and now I can't um (laughs) but, (laughs) but yeah it was always an interest of mine but um it, it wasn't necessarily something that, like, my parents pressed on me, but writing wasn't a career opportunity in, in my eyes when I was growing up. So I really went down the path of uh, science. I ended up in a degree in biochemistry and really took that route of uh, life for a long time before I realized I could uh, take this journey as well.
0: Um, Where's your input?
1: Oh, number one. <laughs> oh no no it's number two ideation is number one
0: (laughs) okay okay I was like listening to you talk I'm like if if you don't have like top three input I'll eat my fucking hat that's hilarious oh I love it I love it oh and the ideation makes so much sense like when I've read your writing I'm like oh this is I can definitely see the ideation ideation creates some of the most just rich spectacularly diverse and different stories that I've ever read and input as well they like whenever a writer has input I can tell because there's there's these details it's just about the details that like other writers just don't get they just don't put them into their stories it's it's incredible Mm -hmm. um and I love like now, like trying to strength spot from for an author, for like books that I read. Like I'm upset. I'm such a fucking nerd. Anyway, <laughs> we're not here to talk about strengths. We are here oh, to talk could, about... Oh, we could though. Yeah, yeah, we could be. Like we feel be <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about story hypothesis. So this is your latest nonfiction book. So would you like to tell everyone a little bit about what story hypothesis, hy- hypothesis is? how does it kind of connect to theme and needs and like what are, what is theme? What are needs? Like talk to me about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So basically for a really long time, I knew that theme had an importance in writing. It's one of like what the number six things of uh, that were taught in school about story structure, but it's so nebulous that it kills me. I hate the concept of having one of the writing tools be something that is so broad uh, if you, I, I use this example a lot, but if you take the theme of love with just a one word, there's such a broad spectrum of that, that if I wanted a book about love, you could hand me, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of some uh, off the top of my head, timekeeper's wife or whatever, you know, some really nice, heartfelt story. Or you could hand me The Fault in Our Stars and I would be really mad at you. So, you know, the <laughs> the fact is like it's too nebulous for me and it frustrates me because how can I use this tool as a writer if if it's so broad and nebulous? But why are we taught it if if there is an, an importance to it so that led me to a lot of conversations with chris kane our wonderful friend um and i have a lot uh,
0: of mutual friends actually <laughs> yeah <do>. so many <laughs> <You> really do <laughs>
1: um and it really it delve uh, i started to realize that theme can be very closely aligned with character wants and needs and that why why make it a difference why why try to make those two sort of separate concepts and why not merge them together and really focus on a way to create a clear statement that a writer can use uh, to guide them through a story, through character wants and needs developing throughout that story uh, and create this resonating tone that hits the reader by the end of it. Because at the end of the day, the stories that we write are filling a need in our readers it's hitting a certain reason why they're reading it. We read romance because we want that affection need, that connection need in us. So that's why we read those stories because we want that resonating bell to fill that need within us. We're living vicariously through these stories. So that's why I created Story Hypothesis, which is just a a simple formula someone could use uh, to guide them as they're developing these stories.
0: So interesting to hear you talk about need and theme and wants all being one and the same and I think it's really true I don't think I've ever really thought about it um but it is it's kind of that nebulous thing as you have described it because the want is very obvious but the need is not very obvious and mm-hmm. so you know the need we almost have to we we infer it from the subtext in the story, right? Which is why yeah, it's so intangible yeah. and so hard to grab onto. So, like, why do you hate Maslow? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, I really do, don't I? I you really I think, do. Oh, to be to be fair, Chris really dro- Chris King really drove me to hate Maslow. And <laughs> and, and I think it was with reason. Um so let's let's of...
0: first explain who Maslow is and yeah, why yeah, we're cackling yeah. about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, is a pyramid of needs, base level being um, like food, shelter, uh, physical needs. And it all leads up this pyramid into self-actualization, into who you are as a person. Um, and based off of the the papers, but written by Maslow, which this is outside of writing. This is uh, someone's uh, construct of what human needs in the in the real world need in order to attain self actualization. Now, the the levels and why it's a pyramid is because you can't attain the next level until you fulfill the needs of the bottom level. Well. Here's the big problem. And and the reason why this became a topic of conversation is a lot of writers in my writing circle were using Maslow's needs. And I was using it trying to um, understand certain character needs in books, but it wasn't fitting all the time. And it wasn't working all the time. And so I felt like I was shoehorning in the hierarchy of needs into what I wanted it to look like. And why was my big question there. So a lot of conversation. um, And What we discovered is Maslow's hierarchy of needs is very focused on a lot of Western culture, a lot of self attainment, a lot of, you know, getting to know who you are as a person. But those don't represent a lot of cultures around the world. A lot of cultures around the world are more focused on community focused uh, aspects and attaining sort of a, a connection with other people. Uh, Another really big frustration of mine with Maslow's is that the bottom level needs is sex. Uh, One of them is just physical sex. But yet the middle of the pyramid is actual human connection and love. And that is problematic to me. (laughs) I don't like that. It it feels icky. Um, So more or less... uh, I started to question, like, why are we using this hierarchy of needs if it doesn't reflect all cultures? And is there another way to find another method that could work that we don't have to shoehorn in what we believe into this model if this model doesn't work?
0: Is Maslow using sex, like, as a synonym for reproduction in order to keep humanity alive? Or is he using it as, like, the pleasurable fun side of
1: like well that's the strange thing why why have a pyramid that at the end of the day goes to self-actualization an individual's need if at the base level it's physical sex right like uh, why like that that's kind of strange to me <laughs> but maybe it is maybe it is in in terms of reproductive need and that is sure but at the same part like that's very strange to me i don't know if it really fits with a lot of the models for uh other cultures
0: well yeah and it also assumes that one needs to reproduce and one does not yeah like not every if we if every single individual on the planet reproduced we would be overpopulated very quickly so
1: and I, i mean another thing that really frustrated uh too was a lot of like creatives that we respect and that we we hold to a high degree in um when they were growing up, they didn't have the means to really attain those first base level needs, but yet they created such beautiful works that how how can you argue that they had self-actualization if they couldn't feed themselves? Um, and that's why that model just seems so broken to me. It doesn't seem like it reflects all of humanity. It seems like it reflects this one guy's view of a certain collective of people that have all the means that they could have.
0: Yeah, and I also, and and as awful as this truth is, I do feel like some of our most emotionally harrowing, like beautiful, in air quotes, art comes mm-hmm. from pain yeah. um, or comes from experiences that have left a scar on us that aren't, you know, they're not always those happy memories. Obviously, a lot of beautiful art also comes from happy memories. But mm-hmm. like arguably being in that level of pain is not like having your needs met, right? So yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. So who should we like?
1: <laughs> I really personally like uh, Manfred Max Neif. Uh, he's a Chilean economist. Um, and he basically was looking at how can I measure our uh, country's overall success in a population without looking at financials, um, because he felt like uh, financial freedom and all, all of those aspects with, with money wasn't reflecting uh, true happiness or true um, satisfaction within a population. And so he created these nine needs, uh, fundamental needs that uh, he believed that people needed to attain within not only themselves, but within like their community in order to measure what sort of success they had within that, that country. And he realized that these needs could be expanded to other countries. It could be a, a useful measurement. Uh, one of the really nice things about this is that those nine needs, they, they correlate to each other. They, they tie to each other, but they're not driven in a way that you must attain one to get to the other. They, you can pick and choose, which in terms of writing is perfect. Because then everything is a level playing field and you can pick which ones are appropriate for you at that time.
0: And what are the nine needs? Tell me more.
1: Yeah. So they are affection, creation, freedom, idleness, participation, sustenance, protection, identity, and understanding.
0: Mm, So... (laughs) So, talk me through like how to <laughs> approach these. Like how, like okay, so let's use affection, right? Because it's ro- romance. Yeah. I'm assuming is, is yeah, a yeah, very yeah. common uh, theme and genre. How okay, so my character needs affection. Yeah. So what? Talk to me about how I can <laughs> use this. Like how do I, how do I approach understanding like affection and like connecting that to character need and the theme. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, to, to give away the, the story hypothesis formula, it's a character's need for their initial want leads them to fulfill their true need by developing this developing need. So in terms of affection, especially in romance, uh, it would be very likely that you would be fulfilling that need for your reader and for your characters, either through the developing need or through that final true need. Now, The difference is uh, a character who is developing their affection throughout the story is building this stronger relationship with the character, and then by the end of it, they may get something out of it. They may get a freedom. They may get uh, a newfound protection. They may discover who they truly are by the end of the story, and then you get that like, oh – this love that has been driven throughout this whole story has led to this character knowing who they truly are and now they can be i don't know queen of whatever or uh this character has been sort of uh working maybe headbutting this other person has been kind of uh focused more on protection throughout this whole story but by the end of it like 75% through the story bam Affection, like we were together. We know what true love looks like. We are here. We feel happy and we feel that final resonation with an affection. But that's how you can look at these different needs and you can pick where they would fit within this formula based off of where in the timeline of your story that that bell or that that tolling feel uh, exists
0: Okay, so let's go into a little bit more detail about those wants and needs. So in yeah. the book, you talk about how like the, the were well, the journey that you've mentioned and how like characters develop and the kind of continuums and you put them on continuums of initial want versus external want true need versus internal need developing need driving catalyst yeah so can you maybe explain what those terms mean in a bit more detail um yeah. and sort of like i guess where we see them in the story like do they uh do they align with story structure um yeah talk to me a little bit more about that
1: do you do you want to break down the matrix
0: yeah yeah <laughs> Okay. Of I do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay so i i might have prepared just a little bit for this so uh <laughs> um but when we look at something like the the first movie the matrix neo's need to understand what is the matrix his primary initial question leads him to fulfill his identity who neo is in terms of the matrix by developing his participation his connection to everyone that is these outsider groups of people. Uh, So immediately, right off the bat, looking at that type of story, think about how the Matrix, the movie, flows. Initially, Neo wants to know this big question. What is the Matrix? He just wants to understand. He's not saying, who am I? He's saying, I need to know what all this weird mystery is. And then by about halfway through, and I, I have to find out where exactly that fits but let's say showdown of Agent Smith Neo um, shows off these skills. he's hinting at a true potential and that death moment which uh, death moments uh, I think I' picked this from like writing from the middle um but it's it's a moment where either you have a physical death, a, a emotional death or a psychological death but we really have um, Morpheus uh, dying uh, and that catalyzes Neo's journey from an a passive observer, of being like, not who am I in correlation to the Matrix, but who, what is the Matrix is this big question up until about 50% of the way through. But now it's who am I in participation with the the Matrix? Because now Morpheus has died and that's catalyzing me. I now have true potential that I see that about 50% of the way through that is showing me that I'm something more. So now we've driven from his need for understanding, which has really pulled him through this story, until about halfway through to a shift into who am I truly? What's my true identity? And all through that, the through line piece, um, which is the, the initial want, you have the true need, that through line piece is participation. It's how much does he react with the people, with Trinity, with Morpheus, with the, the team on the, the ship? And how much of the push and pull is driving him through that story? Every time that he seems to push away from participation, every time that he uh, tries to get away, tries to uh, push against, he's going to fail because it's not participation and we see that when he doesn't answer the right off the bat in the beginning when he uh doesn't answer the phone in time when he's trying to escape but he's not listening uh fully because he's not actively participating he's kind of in the middle of escaping but not trusting he gets caught because he he doesn't understand that he needs to fully participate um and so we keep seeing these failures and wins based off of his developing need through the story
0: Mm, That's so interesting. So do you feel that some of these uh, Max Neef needs align better with hero's journeys versus heroine journeys?
1: Yes-ish. I think that there's a lot to say about um, genre um, because people go to genres for certain reasons. We go to coming-of-age stories because, at the end of the day, we want identity, really, right? we we want to know who we are and so we're we're living vicariously through other people who are coming of age and who are discovering who they are or they're coming of age and they're discovering their role in a community again participation um could also be affection but really when we go to those t- types of stories there's more weight on what needs exist there uh hero's journeys so a hero journey really focuses less on community so it would be less likely that it would focus on something like participation it might focus more on something like freedom um or protection maybe um and identity whereas um a heroines journey which focuses more on on bringing that collective understanding back to a community would focus more on participation understanding um and And romance, affection, you know, all of those different sorts of things. And you can sort of see where things fall in based off of their genre.
0: Okay. So where do we start? Let's say somebody has already outlined a book that they're due to start tomorrow, um, but they haven't overlaid Max Neef's needs. What would they do? Like, how do we understand which need it really is? How can you go back and check yourself? Like before you start writing, asking for a friend.
1: <laughs> oh, just a friend. Just a friend. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I- I've used this formula at the start of uh, the whole process and during editing of the whole process. So um, Mandrake Banner, I actually created the formula first and I wrote it on the board behind me, and then I semi pantsed uh, Mandrake Banner, um, but I always had that formula behind me. What I did was a, a mix of a couple things one thing is i really love doing um blank media meets blank media so for example mandrake's Manor to me is charmed meets hbo's looking well i can already pick out what those pieces are we have urban fantasy uh we have uh romance um and kind of like a, a discovery phase. Well, I can already see what that means. Romance, affection, obviously. Uh, we have people discovering that they're witches because it's charmed. So obviously that's identity. Well, I've just changed their identity. So now they need to discover who that is. Um, and then based off of the story and how it flows, I know that they're going into a new community, that they need to understand their role in that community. So it's broader than just identity, but it's understanding. So I... I found those three needs that i can really highlight through that story based off of what i'm sort of comping the story to look like um i mean if you based off of how much information you want to tell me about your outline we can always pick apart what i think those needs would be
0: okay um i'm trying to think of like a comp um I'm trying to. So I would say it's like maybe Sapphic Vampire Diaries meets John Wick.
1: Okay. So protection, <laughs> uh, affection. Sapphic Vampire Diaries meets. Do you have characters that discover that they're something or do you yes. have characters that know that? Okay. So then identity. Um, so it'd probably be affection, protection, and identity would be an inter- intermixed.
0: Interesting. In I definitely think identity is in that. Uh, it's like a, def- yeah, that's so, that's so spooky that you can do that.
1: <laughs> I kind well, of but it if, if you think about it, I mean, so as, I, I only picked affection off of sapphic more than likely it's a romance of some yes. sort, right? Yes. So it's pretty obvious. It's going to exist in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Wick. Uh, immediately think of uh, someone who uh, is either on a, on a route of revenge or is on a route of like needing to protect something because they, they potentially lost something or um they're, they have this like loss of safety and security. So they need that protection fulfilled in them. So that's why I pull out of protection right away. And then identity is, I mean, if you have characters who are discovering that they're, they are something, then they need to know who they are because they've shifted uh, and they need to rediscover that alignment um, and then based off of that if I were looking at those three needs I would say what is your final tolling bell and it will probably either be affection as your true need or your developing need and that depends on like how much love are you intermixing in this story
0: Um, what do you mean final tolling
1: bell Um, so sorry, there was a loud siren. <laughs> That's <all right. laughs> um, So final tolling bell. What I mean is, is, is love or affection driving the story? Is it something that you are, are using as a tool that these two characters are, are coming together. And every time they come together, they, they succeed uh, at whatever they, their goal is, or are, are they more focused on protecting each other? And then by the end of the story, they're protected enough that they can be together?
0: Um so I think it's probably the identity and affection more than protection because the the protection stuff aligns more with the villain. Um mm-hmm. And so that comes to fruition very much in the last book. It's a trilogy. It's the same couple. So like some of these, like, it's difficult to say that there's a tolling bell in book one because obviously that the romance is not complete in book one Um, because the romance doesn't get complete until book three. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I would say either like, I, I mean, it's a romance. So it has to be affection, right? But like thematically,
1: I would say it's, it's, thematically I would
0: say maybe identity
1: okay yeah and and that can work because you can have a developing affection in the middle of it that could potentially underlie it but what that means it doesn't mean that they fully gain their their full affection connection like they're they're happily ever after together it just means that that's a need that's getting fulfilled as we develop through the story yeah and like you can they keep playing with it as the stories continue
0: yeah that like that's definitely it like that all of this goes throughout the three it will all come to fruition like in book three but they the they they are opposite sides of a coin and so mm-hmm then the, they need each other in a way to fulfill the self-actualization because yeah. each one shows the other that like, ha- yeah, the one strength is the other's weakness in a way. So like they show yeah. each other like how to embrace, I guess, the other side. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, this is very yeah. interesting. <laughs> um Okay, so how can we use like these needs and themes to kind of like raise the stakes and conflict in the story?
1: Yeah, so one of the the big things about this is, you know, a formula is great and nice, but it's not helpful <laughs> if you can't use it. <laughs> so um, one of the reasons why I have this is because it can tell me where in the story um these certain needs are, are heightened. And then when I'm reading through or editing, if I feel like a scene isn't working more than likely, it's not aligned with the formula. Uh, So let's take, for example, um, Hunger Games, uh, which uh, Hunger Games, uh, Katniss's need for protection leads her to fulfill uh, freedom by developing participation in in my understanding of the story. Uh, So really, in that beginning part of the story, she's very focused on protection. She puts her sister as number one in terms of protection, uh, even before herself. She must do everything she can to protect her sister. So that's why she volunteers, because she will... She will give up her freedom, which she doesn't recognize that as a true need uh, at the moment um, because she would rather protect her sister than herself at that moment. And that's a, like a self-sacrificial moment at that part of the story. If she didn't do that and I had that written down and I was like, something's wrong here. I would look at my hypothesis and I would say Katniss's need for protection leads to fulfill freedom, et cetera, et cetera. But I would be like, this is the beginning of the story and she's, not willing to volunteer and so she's letting her sister go but up until this point i've established that her sister has this need like a a fulfilling need for katniss to protect her sister at all costs well i have just broken the protection need So obviously, I need to do something there. I need her to protect her sister. So she's going to volunteer. So that's why I I like to use this formula and think about where in the story we are and where they are on their journey of shifting from their initial need want into this true need phase and how I can look at uh, where certain parts aren't working and really punch it up. Um, another thing is the developing need, why I have this third need that exists in the middle. That's the one I can play with. That's the one that tells me when they don't use this need or when they push against this need, they're not going to get what uh, their initial want is or what their true need is. Um, we're going to keep I'm going to use that as like my toy or the the thing I'm dangling in front of them. Like with Neo, when he doesn't participate, he's not going to get understanding or he's not going to get identity because he's not participating. And until he participates, he won't be able to get whatever his true needs are. And now why I have the initial want up until about 50% is because about 50% through the story in Western storytelling, more than likely they fulfill this true initial want, but then they don't feel fulfilled. Because, yeah, I can get all the understanding I want about the matrix, but I've just shown that I have these super cool powers. So, great that the world around me I can kind of understand it but now who the hell am I what what am I supposed to do so now I'm on a new journey almost I'm on I'm on this new terms of self-discovery because I no longer feel fulfilled in that initial want so I can that's how I use this formula in different phases of the story to really ask the question of like am I hitting these feels?
0: yeah so that I really like that explanation kind of helped me understand a bit deeper definitely the one that i play with is identity and when they don't um fulfill the identity that they that they really are they don't win Mm -hmm. right like so Mm -hmm. that definitely Mm -hmm. makes sense so i really i really like that um okay what are kind of the key scenes or beats that we need to hit in order to like successfully embed these kind of themes and needs in our story
1: yeah. So um, like I had said, about 50% of the way through in Western storytelling, we usually have this sort of death moment or whatever you want to call it, where a character gets that initial want, but they don't feel fulfilled. So that's really what you're writing up to uh, about halfway through your story, um, going up to that point we have a lot of like playing with this developing need and uh, we get a lot of this, this sort of resistance where a character might not want to acknowledge their initial want. Um, and so they, they, they basically are, are getting pushed out of their comfort zone and, and it's catalyzing them to move forward because they, they're resisting against this and they, they get no choice. They're on a journey. Um, we have these failure scenes that exist, uh, and this is a really a good way to show when they aren't pulling on their developing needs. So for you, when they aren't pulling on their identity, they're going to fail. Uh, we have it in the beginning and we have it at the end when they have it at the beginning they're failing against their initial want when they have it at the end they're failing against their true need um and so it looks a little different but it's still the same it's these ups and downs that we expect through the story to help them develop and understand more we also have these like false wins where they our characters think that you know they're they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing with their identity, but it's it's wrong. It's twisted. It's a contorted in a in a way. And so they still fail. And uh that's another way to kind of play with your characters and and have them misunderstand something up until the point where they they hit that like 50% of the way through and they attain their initial want and then oops they they you know <laughs> they didn't want that at the first place. Um and after about 50% of the way through, once we hit this moment where we have these these characters that attained what they wanted, but now they, they're left with this like feeling like they need more, that's really when they start to delve deeper into this developing need. So for Neo he needs to understand who he is more. He's going to really dig into his community, his people around him to to figure out and help him. His participation need is going to get picked up and he's going to really learn that piece. And so we have a lot of these like uh, trials where he's using this developing need to really start to focus on his his true identity. Um, I think we probably... I can't remember where it is in the story, but they really push him to the limits. Uh, I think that's more in the beginning, but I think they do it again where he he's now ready to do it and he's ready to to attain more strength and more power, get uploaded more. Um, we have different confrontation scenes, obviously at the end. Like these, really align with a lot of story beats, and we hit this confrontation scene near the end where we have all the tools we needed. We we've fully developed our identity in your case, and now we are ready for a true need. And now where we have the, the tools that we've used the, during this whole journey, now is our time to get our true final need.
0: What are some of the like biggest mistakes you see writers making like around these needs and themes and, and either trying to use them
1: or like failing to do that? <laughs> I think putting too too many, too many needs. Um. So uh, Max Neve pulled out nine fundamental human needs. Uh, taking outside the, the storytelling concept, those nine needs are our nine needs that you and I have on a, a daily basis. We pull on different ones. They all have different fuel gauges, but when we're able to look at story and we're able to really focus on like why we're telling the stories that we want to tell, if we're able to pull on these specific needs, I picked three because I felt like that was a good, um, Developing way to hit that final true need at the end of the story, then we connect deeper with our readers because we're fulfilling a, a single strong need in them. Um, one thing that I notice, or, or or one thing that I see, is a lot of people trying to add in multiple needs or, or multiple wants in a character. But if you can really refine and and pick one need in your initial want one need and your true need and one need and your developing need and really hone in on why a character would use this need. I feel like you can create this stronger resonation with a reader. Mm.
0: Yeah. It's definitely, it's like personality traits, right? Like the more personality traits you try and give a character, the less uh, depth we get on them. And actually, you know, the deeper you go with that kind of one characteristic trait or whatever, the more believable it becomes because the more layers and like sides of that trait we see, I suppose. So, yeah. Okay. What are some tips for getting your characters to kind of embody that theme on page? How do we show the needs and the, and the theme on page without bashing our readers around the head with it?
1: (laughs) Well, I think that this, this comes again to the, my media meets media or whatever kind of comp thing. Um, I, I develop the hypothesis based off of character. Um, one of the big things about story hypothesis is that it focuses on character wants and needs. So it it's so intrinsically tied to your character that they, they develop together. And I think a big thing is that you are uh, you, your hypothesis could change if you're writing it and you're like, oh, this character needs to take a new path. There's nothing hard set in stone until you hit publish. So it's calm down. <laughs> but um, one of the big things for me is when I'm developing a story, let's say Mandrake Manor, Charmed meets HBO's Looking, I have these archetypes. Uh, one of the reasons why I picked Charmed was I have in Charmed, there are three sisters. While in mine, there are three main characters who are, are witchy, more or less, who are so intrinsically tied to each other that they they function like siblings um and then they have these relationships with with people in the neighborhood so i can see their personality traits through the archetypes that i've created pulled from charmed and i can see through those personality traits that affection is a big strong need in them they have this, this uh, <laughs> sleazy-esque uh, personality about them, and that's why affection is such a strong uh, characteristic in them. They discover that they are witches. Who the hell wouldn't ask, who am I now? What am I now? So really, it's it's using that identity need and then reflecting it back on that character and having these unique character voices that are going to ask the who am I question, but in different ways. So it's it's a big interplay in character and initial character wants and needs
0: what characters don't meet their needs
1: it's a great question (laughs) (laughs) what characters don't meet their needs so I think are you asking uh in terms of storytelling when a main character doesn't meet their needs I think so. And I suppose
0: really the question is like, is a villain a villain because they don't meet their needs?
1: I think so. I think that's a fair, fair question to ask. I think uh, a villain in terms of a non, um, I was about to use dialogue, Dr. Lingo, and I chose not to, Um, non uh, main character, but or non POV character, but a a villain as a character who exists um, as just a, a, pseudo-secondary character that is uh, basically the antagonist of the story, they're more than likely not going to meet those needs. And that's probably a, a good reflection against your, your primary character. One of the things with with story hypothesis that I like to do is, is reflections. And this is a good way of building um, character uh, profiles around your character. So let's say that You have a character who needs to, um, their initial want is identity, their true need is affection. Well, you can have reflections of your side characters who really know who they are, who are unsure of who they are, all these pieces that reflect your main character by having these different needs in different scales. And then you can also have characters who are hyper affectionate or who have their affection need fulfilled at the beginning to show reflections to your main character of who uh who they are meant to be and then in terms of villains you can pull on that what happens when they don't have their needs what happens when they are are those needs are twisted and broken participation is a perfect one uh for villains participation might look like control participation might be instead of a community around you you're controlling and you're um you are pulling on that community in a way that's harmful and so you can see these broken needs that are taken up by villains
0: and what about morally gray protagonists
1: i think that it's something that i would love to explore because i like i said the the broken needs are those like um Those things I hadn't explored yet until a lot of people started asking me questions about it. And I'm like, that sounds fun. And I think that there's something to say with morally gray protagonists meeting certain needs and having um, poor or twisted reflections of needs. Um, And I would just, I I think I would like to explore that more in something in the future. I want to read that book. So if you could just... (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah i'll get on it yeah thanks all right well this is the rebel author
0: podcast so tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel
1: okay so i think i've told this story before i have um but i write as a form of protest (laughs) so um i write because before i went on the 2017 adventures i was moving up the corporate ladder and uh as I was moving up the corporate ladder, one of the things I needed to do was take a, a supervisory skills course. And um, in this super supervisory skills course, uh, we were basically learning all these tools or in corporate, whatever jargon that you needed to in order to become a supervisor. And one day we had to write down what we didn't have uh, time for. And we, we were jotting it all down. Everyone's writing down like, oh, I don't have time to do laundry. I don't have time to watch my kids. I'm over here writing. I don't have time to write. I don't have time to do art. And I'm like, okay, you know, these are things that I want to do, but I never have time to do them. I'm so like stuck doing all of this coursework and all of this stuff to try and move up this ladder. Well, timer goes off. And the instructor has this go to the front of the class and we have to read these off, except instead of saying, I don't have time for, we have to say, I don't want to. <gasps> so I had to say out loud, oh. I don't want to write and I don't want to do art. And oh my God, <laughs> I got so mad. I was like shaking angry because I was like, that's not true. And I had to take a moment and I was like, hold on. Like the reason I, I don't have time for this is because I've let this side of my life consume me in a way that is so aggravating to me because it's not what I want to do. And so I, that moment I was so pissed off (laughs) and I was like, there's no way in hell. So I really, I, I dove into as much as I could and it's taken a long time. It's not like, uh, the next day I quit my job and I went and wrote, but, um, it, it's something that I continually remember. And I'm like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing.
0: Are you full time now?
1: No, I'm not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> still are you, getting there, but you
0: get, yeah, yeah. But now you're actively it, making the time and you don't get to write. Yeah. I don't have time for yep. that. Is such yep. a horrific exercise. I'm like deeply uncomfortable hearing you say that that was what they made you do. Like, oh mm-hmm. my God. Like, th- that's such a, um, like shell shock moment like of realization like what a tool to have in your back pocket to make people really wake up to the reality of what they are doing to themselves I think that is shocking I mean yeah I I think for me like I don't have time to rest but actually I could quite happily say I don't want (laughs) to (laughs) rest
1: yeah same here (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm happy to say that one. Uh, Anyway, amazing. Tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books and anything else you'd like to add.
1: Um, I'll make it easy. And everyone can find me at uh, storyhypothesis.com. That's actually a a redirect to my main website. So if you want to learn more, you can always uh, look at the menu header, but that makes it easy. Uh, So I'll I'll just say that.
0: Perfect. And I will leave um, all like links and bits and bobs in uh, the show notes.
1: Well, thank
0: you so much for your time today. And of course, a big thank you to the show's listeners and the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to J.P. Right Flesh the Ninth. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. So I am wishing you all a wonderful New Year's and I hope that it is full of celebrations, goals, joy, happiness, and hope for the future. Join me next week when I will be uh, interviewing Angela J. Ford and we will be speaking all about how to create beautiful books, how to sell book boxes, and how to sell direct. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.